And now for something completely machinima. Hello, every what? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you do this all the time. Okay. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, this is... hello. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Machinima Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ricky Grove, Master of Ceremonies, along with Tracy Harwood and Damian Valentine. Are joining me in the discussion, the third uh, podcast of this month of September. Um, today we are going. Uh, we are without Phil Rice today. I'm sorry about that. He is indisposed and unable to attend. But we promise we'll try to get him in just as soon as we can. We miss you, Phil. Yes, we do. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a, a short discussion of a topic that came up while we were um, going over our films last time. There were two very long films. One was an hour and 40 minutes, and then the other one was like a 125, 130, The Nobbit and More of the Servers. And it occurred to me a good topic of discussion would be, is Machinima suited to long-form uh, narrative storytelling. Now, I think one of the earliest uh, long-form one was Hugh Hancock's film, right, Tracy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He do sort of, and what we're talking about, feature film length, hour plus. Yes. Um, Can you tell late. us a little bit of the genesis of that film for him? I, I could if I could remember. <laughs> How embarrassing. I have um, faith in you. Yeah, well... Let me think. The the no, I can't remember. I really can't remember. Ah. Uh, no, you've completely caught me on the hop here. Um, well, blood spell. We're talking about, aren't we? Yes, blood spell. Blood spell. Um, yeah. Well, well yeah, what I let let me cover a little bit here. Uh, your acute embarrassment, and talk about. <laughs> The fact that that Hugh was one of the founders of Machinima, and he always pushed towards, even though he supported uh, short episodic um, uh, pieces, he always pushed towards the feature length in his own personal um, efforts. And I think that's because part of what uh, Hugh's motivation for being in Machinima was that was a sort of... um, displaced desire to be a professional filmmaker. And I say that in a positive way, not as a criticism for him. But he wanted to direct films, but he didn't have the money or the time. And I would add he didn't have the opportunity hmm. because it's so hard to get into feature film film filmmaking. So when he discovered this method where you could create feature-length films with little or no money, and still have the same effects, still have the same kind of acting, um, using sets that were inside of of game engines, uh, with an audience of people who were already there and interested in it. I think that's what he kept pushing towards all the time. And Bloodspell is a better example of what you can do with long uh, form narration, hour long plus. But inevitably, it comes down to the same problem over and over again for me whenever I watch a feature-length machinima film. It just doesn't sustain my interest. It doesn't keep my 
disbelief uh, from popping up. You know, one of the things you do consciously when you start to watch a film is you accept the fact that this is an illusion, that these are all forms, that these are real characters, these are people, you buy into it. And uh, great films keep you into that and then take you someplace on a journey. Films that don't do that, you pop out of that 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 feeling and you start looking at other things. You say, oh, well, that doesn't work, that doesn't work or that doesn't interest me, or you become bored. And that's what happens to me when I watch films like War of the Servers or The Nobbit. Now, again, that's not to say I admire the, the huge amount of effort that went into it. And there are many aspects of those films that I admire, but as, but as hour-plus length narrations, they simply don't work. They don't have the strength to, to be able to sustain a story for that long a period of time. And two things I want to examine. I want to examine what you guys think about that, whether you think that machinima can sustain it. And what is it about machinima um, as a production medium and as a, as a, a medium that keeps it from being able to sustain a long-term uh, narrative format? Uh, Damien, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I was thinking about my own experience is creating long form machinima. So I made four seasons of Chronicles of Humanity and each episode, was, most of them were less than 10 minutes long. And then when I finished season one. I thought, I wonder what it'd be like if I took all of these episodes and edited them together into a feature length film. So I did that. And the result was about an hour and 20 minutes long. And where the episode breaks were, the, they didn't always line up well so i had to create more footage to make the the breaks the transition to get the train yeah right because one episode would end with um let's say they're flying off to this planet the next episode begins with them arriving and that doesn't cut very well so i was either creating something new to fill in that gap which is very difficult because the story was already complete i didn't feel like it needed more or i was moving things around and changing the order of the story and i did that for all four seasons so the first two are an hour and 20 minutes, and that's a long time to watch something. And the third season is two hours long because it, it ends up having more episodes in it. Um, and that's a that's a that's long even by feature-length standards because a lot of feature-length films are sort of an hour and a half. Um, and it was interesting to do that. And occasionally I think it'd be nice to go back and watch my films, but I don't know if I want to watch them in that, feature length format i think i'd rather go and watch them in the the shorter episodes because i can do one or two and then go and have a break and come back to it later and i've been doing the same thing in my recent project air to the empire because a lot of people a lot of the fan comments are saying when you finish all 32 chapters are you going to edit them together into a, a proper star wars movie and i thought that sounds great so um i started tinkering around with that and i actually had to i had the same problem as the episode breaks don't necessarily line up because in the book it's fine because chapter one, or chapter whatever will end and then chapter two begins. It doesn't matter if the characters have arrived where they just left because that chapter break is a set um, break and it you can have no matter it can have a, a time pass and it doesn't matter so much. But when you're having it as a film, that is a problem. Um, so at one point I think I swapped around chapter five and six or was it 
no, four and five in, in the film edit, uh, just to, to break it up. And, and I watched it through, uh, the first 12 chapters all edited together. And I felt really bored. Like, maybe it's because it's my own <laughs> film and I'm very familiar with it, but it's because the early chapters are fairly slow paced. Um, but they're fine to watch in the, the short segments, less than 10 minutes. But once you put several slow chapters all together, I think it's about half an hour, at least half an hour of just solid conversations. There's no action at all. Mm. It doesn't necessarily make for an exciting film, which is what you'd expect <laughs> Star Wars to be. I mean, if it's a different kind of film, that's fine. But Star Wars is very action-packed. And so 30 minutes of solid conversation doesn't make for an interesting film. And then you, you finally start to get bits of action taking place. But by the time that you get to that, it's your attention's already wandering and it's hard to, to yeah. stick with it. Well, what, so, what was your motive in stringing them all together into a feature-length uh, thing to begin with? Well, with Chronicles of Matthew, I just thought, wouldn't it be great to see a major feature-length film? <laughs> um, that was basically it. And I, I thought, I've got the footage, I can just do it. And then I, I came, when I actually started doing it, I came across the problems that yeah, yeah, were yeah. involved with doing that. And what was the response? Um, I, people seem to either... When I made it available publicly, the response was they didn't like it because it's animated or they felt like it was too long or they just, they just didn't like the animation style, which is something that we've discussed before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are some people who say, this is, just, this is a great story and they just enjoyed the story. They didn't care too much about the animation. They just right. did that. Um, no one really compared it to the series version. So no one said, I actually preferred it as a series or I preferred the movie edit. It's either they just gave me feedback on that particular installment as it was. They didn't compare between the two. So it might be interesting to uh, put both out there and say, which of these do you like best? Hmm. And with the Air to the Empire, again, it's, it's the fans asking, are you going to do this? So I thought, I'll see what I can do so far. And um, I worked out, sort of, that was about an hour and a half. And I worked out, it's probably going to be a four-hour film if I put all 32 chapters. Whoa. I'm just guessing because I don't know. But yeah. based on what I've produced so far, I'm estimating four hours. Well, I don't know. Uh, an hour and a half is already hard to watch. Four hours. I, I struggle with Return of the King, and I love that film the extended version of it. I, when it's, there's the halfway break in between us, usually when I stop and then watch the second half the next day. Yeah. So I don't know if people I are think what you should hours. do is you should take all of your films, <laughs> all of them and put them together into one huge. See, there is this thing, isn't there? Binge watching. Binge watching. Yeah. Binge watching, which, you know, is a, is a, is a legit thing now, I suppose. Yes, but isn't binge watching of episodes of well, TV series? That, I was not just binge watching this. of feature length films. Yeah, well, this was this is what I was going to say. Was I? I mean, some of the early machinimas and I'm th that, that were serialized. And I'm thinking here, Red versus Blue, which was you know the first one that really was serialized. <clears throat> that was released as. Um, episodes but in order for the, those guys to sort of move their game along a bit they created a video which um became you know this video of season one video of season two and what they were trying to do was compete with 
um, video, t- you know, TV series, which were, um, you know, uh, cobbled together really, weren't they? They were, they right. were, they were joined together. I suppose in in much the same way that if you go back far enough to some of the um, you know the classic uh, literature works, they were also released as chapters, weren't they? Episodes. Yeah, Dickens novels and exactly, and then you know put together, and we read them now as a whole novel, not a a serialized um, thing. And I think that's where a lot of the the desire to create serialized, you know, or, or you know, videos or one big feature-length thing actually came from in the machinima world was to try and emulate what was being done with other media formats that you were trying to um, com- compete with at the same sort of time. I think what changed the game was was YouTube, and really nothing on YouTube could could have that long-form experience because, you know, you couldn't upload that kind of length of content, for one thing. So... You know, soundbite type content became the thing that everybody was used to consuming for for many many years, in fact. And it's only, I, I mean, when was the Dust Channel released? Was that last year, the year before last? Oh gosh, you know, it's a few years old now. It's, it's two years old, isn't it? That's a few years old now. I can't remember exactly. It's not. Where, it's but... not that old, but it's only when that sort of channel, this sci-fi. Um, it's not. It's not necessarily machinima, and it's not necessarily live action. But it's it's a combination of animation, live action, all sorts of shorts. But by shorts, what they mean are fifteen to twenty five minutes sort of length. Well, that's long form for for YouTube cons- consumers, I think. Right. And now we are seeing mm-hmm. even even more longer form content being made available on YouTube because, for example. COVID has meant that, you know, if people wanted to sit and watch something that was performed, they have to do it through a stream channel. So people are now a little bit more used to watching longer, longer kind of more feature length type content. Does Machinima translate? I don't think it does, really. I don't think you want to watch hours and hours of of something that's not interactive, do you? Wouldn't you I wouldn't think play, so. No. Wouldn't, no. wouldn't you want to play the game? Are we competing with the game here? Yeah. Right. We're we're in that kind of hybrid world of, you know, game film in this kind of consumer context, aren't we? And right. at, and at some point, you're going to get bored with just sitting still and not doing too much, you know, I with think, your with your fingers on a keyboard, so to speak. I think you're absolutely right there. It's the interactive element that makes it difficult because I've got a friend who has been streaming all through the pandemic and I watch her streams and it's fun to do that because she'll interact with people in the text. And sometimes if she's playing a multiplayer game, she'll invite uh, people in the chat to come and join her. So I've done that a few times. And then there've been times when she's been playing a very story focused game and um, I've gone to, I've gone to bed cause I'm just really tired and I thought I'll just catch up with the story I missed. And I've tried to do that the next day. I just can't do it because I'm watching her but I can't interact with her and I, I can't sort of say, why don't you do this? Or, uh, you know, as you get stuck and she asks the chat for help in solving the puzzles or whatever, like there's that interactive element's gone because I'm just watching the, the, um, no. the saved copy. And right. it's just not fun. 
But yeah, that's a really it, good point. That interactive quality. I think uh, live streaming has a, a, the advantage in that it's completely spontaneous. I mean, you you can organize things like we do here. We'll organize notes and outlines and everything. But I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where the conversation is going to go. So that provides an interest in itself. Um, and that same sort of quality, I think you can recreate in short term uh, uh, films. Uh, because per, on the production side, it's much easier to do a five to ten minute segment than an hour and a quarter length film. I mean, when we're talking about War of the Servers and uh, uh, the Nobbit, I mean, my brain hurts thinking about just the practical side of putting all of that together. How do you how do you organize everybody? How do you keep the thing? And I think there's a specific gift for people to tell long story, long form narration. There's a real gift in being able to tell that kind of story in a long form. And I don't think machinima was designed for that to begin with. I think people who were in part of that community wanted to make these short pieces because that was the advantage of machinima is that you could put this stuff together quickly, put it out and say, Hey, look at this. What do you guys think? Oh, well, I like that. I like this. And then you take that and you go back and you make another one. If everybody was making an hour and a half long <laughs> piece every time, I don't think Machinima would have ever gotten off the ground. No, no. I don't think so either. <laughs> I mean, you know, Red versus Blue was an, a series of, what were they, two two minute long uh-huh. pieces? And they, they were edited to kind of largely together or, you know, pulled together in their season videos. Um but they would be the, the, the first examples of it, I would imagine, of machinima, certainly. And I remember those season videos, because I, I got into it just as season two was about to start, so I watched the season video of one. Mm-hmm. And even though they edited all those episodes together, it was still less than an hour, which made it yes. manageable. Yes. Uh, when I did it, it was an hour and a half, which is too much, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't know what happened with the later. I know that Red versus Blue, the episodes did get longer as time went on. So I imagine those season videos grew in length as well. So I don't know what happened later on in the series, but well, I imagine that they I became quite lengthy. Unlike, uh, yeah, I think unlike a lot of Machinima creators, they were so prolific and their audience was, I mean, they, 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 their audience grew so quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so they managed to shift and change their audience as they were developing it. And they were the ones that created demand for it. Um, so, so they could do what they like, but most machinima creators are not the likes of Rooster Teeth. They have to work very hard for their That's audience, right. yeah. And you have to pitch into what your audience expects to a certain degree, mm-hmm. um, and you know, be be aware and be cognizant of who that audience is and how you're going to, um, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, people have so much choice now with what sort of content they can watch. What you're fighting for is, is share of eyeballs, really. Yes, yeah, yeah. Share of mind, share of eyeballs. Hey, I have, a question. I have a question for both of you. Do you think that um, early Machinima was more, in terms of their, uh, in terms of filmmakers' choices to uh, tell stories, do you think they were more influenced by cinema, traditional movies and television, or the cutscenes and gameplay of the game that they were choosing? I would say the films and TV series they were watching. Um, 
because in those early days of Machinima, the cutscenes in games weren't that great. It was only when sort of Bioware really started pu- pushing for the cinematic look in their games that other developers thought, actually, that's a good idea. We should do that. Um, oftentimes, you'd get very static cameras and the characters would do things, but they wouldn't move around. You wouldn't get close-ups of the characters' faces or whatever the action was. It would just be... Uh, it may change brief from one angle to another, but you're still getting long shots and um, it doesn't feel like it's really pulling you in as a film viewer. It's just they needed somewhere to put the camera and that's the place they chose because you can see where they've positioned the characters and, and the room and that's it. So I don't know if those early cutscenes inspired people that much. I don't think it was cutscenes. I think it was I think it was film but it very quickly became something more than film. Um, not least because where you could put the camera wasn't where you would put it if you were creating film. Mm. Um, so I can remember um, people like... Um, I mean, I, 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 the reason I think film is the main influence is because um, Paul, Paul Marino, Frank Delario, most of those guys came from film and camera work. And I remember them talking about, you know, why camera work is so different in machinima. Um, because you could put, say, for example, you could put a camera in the air where you could never put it in a real film. Mm. Or you could get an angle that you could never create uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a live shot. Right. Or track it, in a way where the camera could go through the scenery yes. uh, in a way that yes. they could never do that before. And and switch between perspectives and what have you. And I think I think um, it very quickly became something that was completely different to filmmaking, but inspired by filmmaking mm. and inspired by by what you could do in a game, really, in a three D virtual environment. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think you know I think the rest of the world is now ca- catching up on the use of three D virtual environments. Um, but it's something that machinima creators have done for years. Yep, yep, uh, certainly. And NVIDIA's Omniverse is a, a nod towards that uh, way of working. Absolutely, and, and so is Unreal. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, Unreal came from a, you know, a game engine and is now so much more than a game engine. It's the rest of the world demanding that kind of ability to work in that way that they've tapped into. Um, to speaking create- of... Um, Omniverse. Uh, so last about a year ago now, when Nvidia re- announced the the new range of graphics cards, they, they did the because obviously they couldn't do a, a live presentation. They did the, the guy was in his house in his kitchen and he was showing off the graphics cards. They revealed only recently yeah, that kitchen yeah, wasn't week. real. Yeah, mm-hmm. that kitchen yeah. wasn't real. It was generated in Omniverse, and they didn't want to tell anyone just to see if anyone would notice it wasn't real, and no one did, as far as I know. Yeah. And even I think sixteen seconds of him. He wasn't real either. They used a CGI version of him, yeah, yeah. Um, just to test it out. And again, no one no. noticed. Yeah, I thought that was a witty, witty joke on everybody. That was great. Yeah, I think that was quite funny as well. Yeah. So yeah. if if Machinima is primarily better suited to a shorter format, why do people keep making feature length movies in Machinima? I think it's. The fans of films, and like with Hugh, like what you said with Hugh, um, they want to be able to produce 
a sort of feature length film, but they don't necessarily have the resources to go and do a live action one. So that they're turning to the machinima as a way of producing content. And then, then they're realizing, well, actually I could just produce a lot of content and make this feature length film that I like. Um, and it doesn't necessarily work. Hugh was a real frustrated filmmaker, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember him talking about going to, uh, you know, uh, different film festivals like Cannes and what have you, with a with a view to try to pitch film ideas to, um, uh, you know, different studios and what have you, uh, or you know, pick the brains of directors whilst whilst he was there. He he really did want to be that that filmmaker and had neither the money or the background to allow him to get into that as a first career choice. Yeah. I mean, he always said that it, had he had his time again, he would never have landed on machinima. He would never have used it to create his works because it, it's just in the end generated too many um, problems at the business end of it, not the creative end of it, but you know, the distribution end of it just, restricted what he could then do with the with the work yeah. um, you know you know pertaining to the, all the issues that um, some of the early guys had with with ip and the, the use of games that in those days had never even thought about other possibilities for using their virtual environment yeah there's i think a... perhaps there's a um, desire to use a machinima feature film as a kind of calling card as a kind of sketch for what you can do as a filmmaker Yes, we do see that a bit. I mean, you know, we talked this week, this last week about um, Robert Stoneman's work, for example. I mean, he's a cameraman and has worked on things like Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Fast and Furious uh, just recently. And, you know, one one or two other. He's a professional cameraman. He's not necessarily a CGI, uh, you know, creative in his day job machinima is something that he does on the side seemingly yeah it's being a as, as being a cameraman just it's it's kind of interesting i think that how how people and and again covid i think has pushed people to be very creative during mm, lockdown mm, yes. we've we've reviewed some amazing films that people have just cobbled together in their sitting rooms i mean do you remember sure the have. um the not the mandalorian rap but the uh, Baby Outlaw. Oh yeah, yeah. Mando uh, video. I mean, what a corking video put together in somebody's living room in, over a period of three weeks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that guy that when uh, when my film was up for one of the awards, and he made a machinima film, and I still haven't been able to find a copy to watch, um, which is a shame because I'd like to see it. And he was a he was a filmmaker. He did live action film but because of COVID. He obviously couldn't. So he was also like playing video games and decided that, to try out um, making one of his a film out of one of his favorite games as a way to still continue making films when he right. couldn't do what he normally does. Yeah, because he's obsessed. I'm... Because he's obsessed with the, the the pleasure of making stories using film. Yeah, and uh, it's a shame I haven't been able to find a copy because I'm really intrigued to see what he has done. Yeah, yeah, you know well, we did. We, excuse me, we didn't mention uh, a, an important film, or if we did, it could be advanced Alzheimer's on my case, but I don't think we mentioned Ozymandias, 
Hugh Hancock's film. No, we didn't. And that, I think, is a different type of classic machinima that... Um, I mean, I, I, I think Hugh made that as an experimental video uh, in order to test, demonstrate the technology of that he was back. working. Yeah. Um, things like when the hand pushes the sand aside and the, the sand actually moves. Yeah. It's like, you, that's the struggle even now um, to, to be able to pull, to pull that off without yeah. a huge amount of work. But he yeah, was one so of the I, earliest people to, and I, I, I love that irony. I mean, here's this guy who wants to be a real a filmmaker in the, in the real world, in a pro world, and yet here he's creating these first-time efforts in machinima that inspire people and tell them, because he was a leader, he's telling them, hey, one of the ways you can tell stories is to take literary classics and mm -hmm. do something with them in machinima. Yeah. As a machinima film, it's awful. But as a way of sharing a possibility, um, I think it was great. Yeah, yeah. And um, Ben will review that for us as part of our um, This Month in Oh, cool. History. Oh, cool. Um, I love that. He'll, he'll be doing the classics uh, through, the, through the early days of, of Machinima as well. Okay. Ricky, I was going to ask you a question. I mean, sure. so, you know, obviously – you have a professional background as a as an actor and a performer. How did you adapt to being a machinima um, creator, if you like? It was very comfortable. Um, you know, I had uh, uh, decided to leave television and uh, filmmaking, and I was at home. I had a regular job as a bookseller which I've always had it. Whenever you become an actor or you work in entertainment, you always have, a, have, have to have a secondary career in order to support yourself. And some people do waitering. Some people do other, sort, other things. My choice was book selling. So I'd have my day job as a bookseller and I'd come home and I love to read, but I wanted something that was more involving with other people, collaborative. And I had heard about Machinima. And so I went on to machinima.com joined and got on the forums and um, there was a channel in which they were saying people productions looking for help and uh, somebody posted a thing where they were working on a production in LA and they needed uh, voice actors and help I contacted them we met physically first and then the rest of the time it was emails and that started the game rolling I um, had always been interested in sound uh, back through my theater days, I designed sound for a couple of uh, theater productions that I was involved in. I wrote a couple plays and designed the sound for them. And so I thought this was not only an, a good opportunity for acting, uh, where I didn't have to worry about money. Uh, money wasn't an issue. It wasn't a driving force. It was the love of of doing it that people wanted to. Uh, but it also had an opportunity to do sound design. And so this same director who hired me to do the, or not hired me, but uh, asked me to participate in the, the uh, Only the Strong Survive, that was the first one, uh, Jason Choi. And uh, I said, well, I'd like to do the sound design as well. And um, so I did the sound design for that. <laughs> and the acting turned out really well because we rehearsed a lot, which I liked. It was very similar to, to theater. 
And uh, but the sound design was not very good experience because I turned in my first sound design and Jason is a very he's not like Michelle Pettit me who would be subtle and and um, considerate in her comments. Jason was a blunt person. And he just said, this sucks. You have to do the whole thing over again. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I just spent like eight hours designing the sound for this piece. And, you know, after I got over the initial annoyance, I said, okay, by God, I'll show you. I'll show you. You want to have a, a sound? I'll show you I can design a better soundscape than what you imagine. And that's exactly what I did. And the sound was much, much better. So even though his way of getting me to work better was not very helpful. It eventually turned out to be a very good thing. And it also gave me confidence in the fact that I could design sound design because it's a very different experience designing sound for theater than it is for film. And I had to sort of learn from scratch how to do multi-editing and layered editing and all of that stuff. And I really, really enjoyed it. And it, it really got my uh, creative juices going. And that's what led me into Machinima and to participate more broadly in the community. Fascinating. Do you also do sound design for theatre as well? In there? No, I uh, got out of theatre. Um, actually, I did. I did quite a bit of theatre in L.A., but I only as an actor, not as sound design. The company that I was with was very. Uh, um, they were unwilling to collaborate <laughs> in those ways. I could have done some good sound design, but that you were very much in your role when you were in working with this theater group. It was an experimental theater group called City Garage, and I really liked it. I did some of my best work there, but the director and her husband, who was the producer, were very regimented in their roles that people would play. They were very heavily into controlling how everything worked out. And in a way, that's a good thing for experimental theater work because it tends to be very sloppy and their, their focus on getting everything detailed and laid out was just perfect. But I did do some other um, uh, sound design for a couple other uh, productions, um, uh, two more that I did. And I really liked doing that. I really, I wish I, I, in sort of, I kind of wished I could have done more of it. But I did quite a bit of uh, sound design for Machinima, and I'm very proud of it. Well, I think your um, your whole contribution to the community has been hugely beneficial from from all the years that I've seen you involved in, in Machinima. Well, thanks from, a lot. Um, way back in the early. Thanks uh, a lot. I days. sure love it, and I'm glad to be a part of it again. I'm glad that you've been part of the community and that um, you've done a lot of voice work for me and uh, the other things I've seen you do have been very inspiring. So. Thanks. I did quite a bit of work with M. Dot Strange and his. Now, there's an interesting contrast. He does feature length films created inside of Cinema 4D. So it's a professional level. And his, his films work. I did uh, voices for quite a few of this, although interestingly, his newest film is going to be a hybrid machinima film. Um, and he shot almost all of it in Unity in real time. And part of the thing that he loved about it is that the 
process of animation and turnover was so much faster in Unity than the careful laid out. In fact, that's one of the reasons why he created Nightmare Puppeteer was that he wanted to give people an opportunity to create something very fast so they don't have to go through this agony of animation curves and setting points where they change and then adjusting and just endless nightmare of spending three weeks on a one minute scene. You know, he wanted people to, to get stuff done fast. So it's going to be interesting to see the difference between his um, feature length film shot in unity versus the previous ones that were all shot in cinema 4d. It's going to come out very soon. He finished it about two months ago. He's on finishing up post-production work, probably October, maybe early November. He'll have a big release. We'll have a big announcement on this. I'm wondering if one of the reasons it's machinima doesn't translate into a long form format is if you're using a game um, to tell your story, the game is only going to have limited animations, no matter what game it is. So if you see characters walking along, they're going to have the same walking animation. That's right. And you're going to get that for an hour and a half. If you watch a live action film or a, a feature length, um, uh, not machinima, but animated film, those walking animations are going to be unique every single time that character walks. Yep. So you, part of it is the repetitive, repetitiveness of this, what you're seeing because it's just simply not possible to have unique walks in machinima unless you do something like um, you could do motion capture all the way through, but then you've got to have access to the motion capture equipment and motion capture for walking is very difficult, but you do get that unique performance and then but you're still going to have that sort of roughness to it, which can draw you out um, as well is part of that uh, repetitiveness and limited yeah. animations is you don't always get smooth transitions between different things. Um, so, you know, a character will suddenly just stop and you don't get a smooth turn when they turn around. It, it, they make some of the older games where the character just turns like that without yes. their legs moving and things like that. Yeah. That can be very distracting and pull you out. Um, whereas if you had a, it's what you just said about um, using something like uh, Cinema 4D. That's a professional um, rendering and animation package where you can have the unique animations. All well, that's what M. Dot Strange would do. I mean, he would go through every scene and, and animate the scene uniquely every time. He wouldn't, I mean, he might, he might borrow a piece, a sitting down animation or something he might borrow, but for the most part, he reanimated everything, um, which is part of the reason why he likes Unity now is because it allows him to be able to do quicker animation styles. And you, I think... I think smarter filmmakers can cover some of that um, reused animation by shooting it in a different way. But you're absolutely right. Those re repeated animation styles, you people see that when they're watching it. They may not be able to say what it is, but they know that, and it takes them out of the their suspension of disbelief. Uh, certainly in War of the Servers, you saw the same animation over and over and over and over again. And that's yeah. what made it hard to stay with it as a story. Yeah, I remember um, when we were writing the book, uh, we did an interview with Ian Chisholm, whose um, series Clear Skies. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he <clears> uses <throat> uh, mocap, um, iPiSoft. I, I right. Um, which I think was uh, launched at the 2008 
Machinima Ex Expo, Machinima mm -hmm. Film Festival. Yeah. Um, uh, well, basically, he tries to overcome some of the limitations of the, the engine that he's using, game engine that he's using, by creating the animations um, using this mocap um, technology, which I think is, is, is really interesting. But I do remember him saying that there was a really steep learning curve to using that yeah. particular technology at the time. Um, but we are now, what, quite a few years after that, aren't we? Yeah. I think that's a, uh, I'm glad you brought him up because I was thinking about him. He's one of the few filmmakers that actually was successful in, in creating long-term machinima. And I yes. think part of it is, is exactly what you were pointing out, Damien, that varied animation in it. Yeah. But he also had a real sense about how to tell a, an arcing story in long-term that, that, that is not an easy thing to, to learn. I think, I think it's easier to be more successful telling short-term stories than it is telling long-term stuff yeah you've got to be a, a storyteller haven't you yeah, yeah. you've got to have the craft i think and i acted i think in his third film and reading through the script i was really impressed with how how well the script was written how how careful it was laid out and how the whole sense of dramatic uh structure in it worked really well he also cuts very nicely into footage of spaceships from EVE Online. So mm -hmm. you can still have the characters talking, but you're not seeing them repeating the same animation because you're getting the spaceships moving. Mm -hmm. And that's if they're moving the same way, that's fine because you expect that from a static object that doesn't have any animation to it because it, it's going to fly forward, so it's going to fly left or yes. right. Yeah. So you expect that. It doesn't look wrong. Whereas if you see characters, the same group of characters for an hour and a half doing the same thing, that, that feels wrong. So I think he was very smart in the way he would cut um, away from the characters to show other things, yeah. uh, which helps break it up. So he was a smart filmmaker. That's one of the, and a good planner and had a yeah. good script to begin with. So yeah, I'm very impressed with that. So it's not always true that it doesn't work. Then. No, uh, but I think for the most part, it doesn't. At least that's my yeah. opinion. Well, listen, Look, what do you guys think? Uh, people out there who are listening to this, do you think Machinima works as a short-term uh, narrative or can it work in a long-term? Let us know. Contact us at completelymachinima.com. Leave a voice message. Curse at us. Give us an example of better cursing than we found in The Nobbit. We want to hear it and we'll play it on this show. And uh, we're going to work hard to bring Phil Rice back soon because his input is so important. We miss him. Uh, come back Absolutely. soon, Phil. And yeah. thank you guys for uh, uh, sharing this long, um, gosh, it's been three hours for us because we, we do all three at the same time, so we're all pretty <laughs> tired. But thank you very much, uh, Tracy and Damien, for being Welcome. part of this conversation. And um, we'll see you next time. Take Bye. care.